Hello, and welcome to Holly History, where we discuss what you want to hear. Bringing you the story and answering your questions. No fake news, no alternative facts. Just history, all the time. Good afternoon and welcome to Holly History. We discussed joining here. Mr. D here again today. And this is kind of a surprise, kind of special episode that I wanted to do. Um, first of all, brand new mic setup. Uh, so hopefully this is going well. Uh, if there's some sound issues, make sure that you, you know, somebody lets me know because I want to take care of that. So uh, please, please let me know if there's any issues with the the microphone. I'm trying to do my best to work with it here. And, you know, it's it's a new rig and it attaches to the desk, which I really like. So it should be pretty fun. I can move it around. Um, but what I want to talk about today and kind of share is something that's been, been uh, tossed around my mind for the last week or so as we've been out. And it's, it's something that I talk a lot about in my classroom and I think is important. And that's uh, the view of textbooks and kind of the role in the classroom and and what role they do, they do serve in today's classroom, if, if they should serve a role or a purpose, um, how to look at textbooks, how to look at the education of social studies, why it matters. I've been using the hashtag history is king <laughs> for a reason um, because our view of the past colors how we think about the present and how we look to the future. And uh, if our foundations of the past are not strong, I do believe that it really can lead to a great detriment in our society. I think the number one thing that uh, education should do, and I'm biased, of course, because I'm a social studies teacher, but the number one thing education should do is inform you as a human race where we've been and where we're going and what our role is. Um, I often talk about Dan Carlin's hardcore history, and the reason is he uses this example. I'm, I'm not a fan of the history that um, this idea that, oh, you got to know your history because you'll be doomed to repeat the same mistakes of the past. And, and yeah, I, I, I do believe that, that that may be true. But what I think is more true is that we're all part of the human story. And the human story is like a TV series or a soap opera. I think it's a comparison Dan Carlin used. And as a whole, when, when, it, when you're born, you're born into the human story. You're a part of it. You don't really get a choice in that matter. And if you don't know seasons one through seven or whatever and you're born to season eight, you're going to have a hard time getting by. Um, so I, I really believe in that idea of history that you have to know the foundations of, of who you are, what you are. And um, sometimes those foundations are, are great and something to be proud of. Sometimes they're not. And, you know, I had a college professor once describe social studies teachers as the gatekeepers of history and the gatekeepers of social studies and civics. And the reason he used that term gatekeeper is because we are the ones who give the first exposure to students as they enter the field of history and as they, they study, you know, um, humans. Because that's what, you know, we're the, we're the first, the front lines, I guess you could say. Uh, if they choose to go on with history, they'll, they'll go on to college professors and obviously learn about the subject much more in depth than they will with us in elementary and uh, middle and high school. But we're the first exposure. And that's why this is this is important work. So textbooks have had a lot of power, and, and because in large part, 
Um, I'm going to also talk about textbooks and like state standards and, and standards for social studies because these are the things you, you are tested on, you're evaluated on, and let's let's face it, um, the majority of students in the classroom are not in love with history as much as the teacher is. I mean, I certainly was, and I, I became one. Um, say you take a class of 20 students, you know, maybe five to eight of those students are really in love with the topic the way you are, and maybe we'll go on to something in the field of social studies or history, um, and that, that may be a high guesstimate of that. And then the rest of the students um, are either not that involved or they want to get a good grade, and, and this is just being honest about you know who enters your classroom on a daily basis. And the goal is, I think, you know those five to eight, you have to take them to the next level and reinforce their love and their passion, and then try to bring those other 12 along with you. Because those 12 are going to enter the human story whether they like it or not, and they need to be prepared. So that's why this is such a, a great task and it you know, weighs on my mind as a teacher. And I think any social studies teacher that listens to this will agree that we have a, a, a difficult, challenging job, and it is an important one. So you know the, the stuff that those 12 students that I mentioned that, that aren't that in love with the subject are going to learn, the stuff they're going to learn is the stuff that's in the standards in the textbook because that's kind of your base level, right? Um, that's the stuff you'll be tested on, that you got to pass the reading exam to graduate. So that's why I think it's so important when we teach to go go beyond textbooks, go beyond standards. Um, I certainly adhere to the content specifications of New York State in my classroom because I wouldn't be, you know, in eighth grade there's no state test, but I wouldn't be preparing the students down the road for their their regions exams if I wasn't doing that. And I will say this, New York State in the last couple of years has really taken a great angle on uh, introducing primary sources in the classroom more, secondary sources, you know, source examination, bias, perspective, point of view, um, purpose of a source, things of that nature. You know, they're getting away from, you know, the, the multiple choice Jeopardy style test, which I think is a good thing. Um, of course, you know, we're making kids historians, right? I, sometimes my learning target is in my classroom, um, I can be a historian today. And when they walk in, they know they're going to be examining historical sources and I'm going to be asking thought-provoking questions and trying to get them to think outside the box like historians do on certain things. And that's, I think that is the best way to learn social studies. It's the best way to learn history because it makes you curious. You're exploring things and there's no right or wrong answer. I love history because it's one of these things where if you argue correctly, you know, I'm not going to say you're never wrong, but there's many different perspectives or ways to look at something and it's always changing. And I love to share the word historiography with my students. That's not something you often hear in eighth grade classroom. Um, but historiography, you know, the, the study of how history changes, how we look at things changes over time. And I think one way, you know, whenever you have a textbook and you're, or the standards and you're evaluating, one of the first things that I go to look at, uh, I look for is the phrase states rights. And I'm, of course, talking about the Civil War and slavery. For decades of this country's history, it has been taught the Civil War's primary cause was over um, the South's view of states' rights, right? That we have the right to leave the Union. Um, slavery was only a secondary cause. It, it was states' rights was the driving force. And I look for that in textbooks and I look for it in standards because I want to see, you know, sort of where they're at with that. And then I kind of go look for some other things, too. And I, I pulled out the textbook that I started uh, teaching with. And I'll be honest, in my room, I, I do not use the textbook. I, use, I I will pull it out to read things for myself at certain points. Um, I use mostly 
primary, secondary sources. I go off the state standards of kind of the base things to cover, and then I try to add things in that that I think are thought provoking, interesting, and get students thinking in you know stuff that they're interested in. But I really look at you know these kinds of things first. So I pulled out the textbook. This is a 2008 McDougal et al. Uh, textbook, and this was the first book that I had when I came in teaching. And so I immediately flipped to the, this was 2008, mind you, and I flip to uh, page 502 here, and it goes over the southern states seceding from the Union, and they're highlighted under the Confederate States of America is the phrase states' rights. And it's highlighted because it's actually, I'm, you'll hear the pages flipping here as I'm looking, it's highlighted because it's put in the Reading for Understanding Review section, and it says states' rights is the idea that states have certain rights and the federal government cannot overrule. Um, so it, the book did a very good job, I think, of the preceding chapters of talking about slavery very well in depth and, and having diverse perspectives and all kinds of things there. But when we reach this, this is the chapter before um, the Civil War actually kicks off. It's talking about the the Union's response to secession, the Confederate States of America. And I'm going to read you a couple sentences here. You know, it says, uh, Southerners base their arguments on states' rights. The idea that states have certain rights the federal government cannot overrule. They argued that since the states had voluntarily joined the Union, they could voluntarily leave it. Now, the, the North the Union had arguments against that. And it kind of goes on down there of how the Confederate States formed, Jefferson Davis being the president. What, I, what this really misses to me, and, and the phrase states' rights, in a lo- now that was for the longest time taught at the, um, the elementary through the secondary level that the primary cause of the Civil War was states' rights. Now, I will tell you at the college level, it's never really been taught that way. Um, you know, when I got to college, that was one of the first things we talked about in one of my first classes with uh, Dr. Behrend in my Reconstruction Civil War class was, you know, it, you're taught through much of your, you know, your career because the tests say it, so maybe the teachers don't believe it, but they're, I don't, we can get into that, you know, a million different ways to Sunday, but um, that, that states' rights was the primary driving force of the, you know, the Civil War. Uh, and when you look at the primary sources and you look at the, the things from the time period, to me, that's, that's not the case. It, it is undoubtedly slavery is the primary cause. It is the primary dividing force between the, the North and the South, and that's the reason for division there. And when you look at certain sources, for instance, the Texas secession papers, um, really you read any of the secession papers from any of the states prior to the Civil War. Now, the secession papers was are basically each state's breakup letter to the North, um, a why they're leaving. And Texas's secession papers in particular, and Mississippi's, we read them in my, my college class of how, I mean, they go on and on about the issue of slavery. And um, I'm not going to read them to you. You can go look at those yourself. To me, and I have students read in eighth grade. It's, it's kind of a hard read, but we do it together. I have them read the secession papers for um, for for Texas and Mississippi, and they read chunks of it. And I think it's important they see that. Uh, another one um, is very, very clear and easily accessible is uh, Alexi de Tocqueville's, I probably mispronounced his name, his, uh, he's a European going through um, the United States in the, the mid-1800s, and he is commenting on the issue of slavery being a primary division of the North and the South. So there's another example, too. Uh, James Longstreet, after the Civil War, will say, you know, during Reconstruction, if the war wasn't about slavery, I don't know what it was about. James Longstreet being a very, very famous Southern general, one of Lee's best. And he will say, like, yeah, I, I, if the war wasn't about slavery, I don't know what it was about. 
And here's another one is the famous, it's called the, you're going to hear my mouse clicking here, I apologize, and it's a couple other things. Um, the famous cornerstone speech given by Alexander Stevens, who was the vice president of the Confederacy, and he says very clearly, um, the cornerstone being the cornerstone of our Confederacy, um, here's his quote, its foundations are laid its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery, subordination to the superior race, is his natural and normal condition. That's ending now his quote. Um, that's very obvious, you know, that slavery was the root cause or the root thing. And and really, I'm looking at this textbook, and it really kind of fails right there. Um, I kind of wish that they had gone more into some of that other stuff, whether it be the secession papers or Stevens's speech, which both are absent from this. So, unfortunately, I think that this textbook kind of misses that. Now, let's look at the state standards. Okay, let's take a peek here. So, I'm now looking at the 8th grade uh, state standards, content specifications for New York State on my computer screen. So, again, you'll hear me clicking. I apologize. Um, But it it talks about, you know, uh, standard 7.8. So, this is 7th grade, excuse me, not 8th because the Civil War for... New York State puts it in seventh grade. I do know eighth grade teachers who teach it in eighth grade too, so it it kind of varies um, and when it starts. So it says uh, seven eighths the standard, the content spec. Uh, a nation divided, westward expansion, the industrialization of the North, and the increase of slavery in the South contributed to the growth of the sectionalism. All right, solid start. Constitutional conflicts between advocates of states' rights and supporters of federal power increased tensions in the nation. Attempts to compromise ultimately failed to keep the nation together, leading to the Civil War. So there you have, again, that phrase, states' rights, coming in here. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, in New York State, I think we do a pretty solid job of talking about slavery in the classroom, things like that. But, you know, why and how did this idea of states' rights appear in the curriculum, and why are we so... It's one of my favorite dinner topics that, uh, you know, <laughs> call it that because it gets discussed with a lot of, you know, friends of mine who aren't in the field of social studies or um, education, what, what have you. And the Civil War will come up because the Civil War colors so much of our modern day that we, you know, and the issues surrounding it that we don't really understand fully. Um, and they'll say like, oh, you know, Nick, isn't it, uh, isn't it because, you know, it wasn't Civil War most about states' rights really anyways, it wasn't really about slavery. I'm like, no, it was. And if you took a survey today, you know what? I'm going to do that right now on my computer screen um, and see if there's some sort of survey out there that uh, surveys the cause of the Civil War. But, you know, I bet if I bet the survey would probably say, you know, it was states' rights um, if I had to guess. So before, you know, while I'm looking for that, the poll here, I want to talk about, you know, really, you have this, this phrase states' rights comes into – being because of a lot of historians following the Civil War uh, and the Reconstruction period, you know how how are we going to be remembered? You know, are we can be remembered as a nation that fought for the ownership of people, or are we going to be remembered as a nation that fought for states' rights? You know, the one sounds a lot better than the other. You know, against a, tyr- a tyrannical government. So Southern historians, they're called lost cause historians, started to kind of rewrite the story, and. Um, try to bring up certain things that would make the South look like they were fighting, you know, kind of rewrite the narrative of history, right? Rewrite the way that we look at history. And one of the first things they went after were textbooks and and, and standards of, of how you teach students. And for the longest time, it was taught that states' rights was the primary cause. Now, if you, I'm sure if I went and put, pulled up other states' um, standards today, they would probably be using the same phrase of states' rights. So we're still living with that, you know, 
how we teach history is almost important as studying the subject itself because that's what we're going to be laying the foundation for in the future. So here's a Pew Research poll on what caused the Civil War. When people were asked their impression of the main cause of war, 48% of Americans say it was mainly about states' rights. Just 38% said the Civil War is mainly caused by slavery. Another 9% uh, volunteered that it was both equally. And so young people, more likely than older Americans, are to say the war's main cause was states' rights. 60% of those younger than age 30 expressed this view, the highest percentage of any group. Those aged 65 and older by 50% to 34% margin are the most likely to say that slavery rather than states' rights was the main cause. So to, to me, that's that's shocking. I would think, personally, older Americans would be more likely to say it's states' rights, but that's not the case. Um, but still, let's just look at the, let's forget those numbers. Let's look at the main number. 48% to 38% say it was states' rights, not slavery. Um, you will be hard-pressed to find a, a college classroom um, that is discussing the primary cause of the Civil War being states' rights and not slavery. So, to me, that that's kind of shocking. Now, granted, this poll is from 2011. Um, I'll have to maybe do some more research later on, but but it definitely reinforces my idea that that we we've kind of botched the the education of this subject for a long time. And there's other things that I think fall into this category too. That I think we're now getting right. I think in the last five to ten years, um, social studies education's really stepped its game up and. You know, we're getting more in line with 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 college educators. At least I hope. I know I try to, and I know many of my other colleagues do. So we want to get the history right because if we get the history wrong, as the gatekeepers, as I mentioned, we're setting those foundations up wrong. And and when you learn something, it's very hard to unlearn. Young people are very impressionable. So you know, I, I think slavery in the Civil War is one of the areas to look at to evaluate constantly how we're teaching social studies. I think there's a lot of other things too. I think the constitutional period, uh, I think the other area that, you know, we kind of dropped the ball on education happens to be civics. Um, right now in New York state, 12th grade is participation in government. Piggott's is called uh, It's half year course in economics is another half year. You know, I think um, civics should be something that maybe we start looking at some of the younger ages we start doing giving those foundations earlier on. So I think two of the biggest areas that I think we can really keep going in the right direction on has to do with civic education, you know, polit- political science, working that in the classroom, and uh, the issue of slavery and civil war. Because, you know, as that, that Pew Research poll shows, and I do trust Pew very much, that we're looking at this and it's clear that the majority of Americans probably think states' rights was the cause of the civil war, and it's mostly younger Americans, which means that in the recent, you know, twenty past 20-ish years, they're learning that, you know, only recently yeah, it, was, it was states' rights. So it's almost like it had a, a resurge there So uh, of, of states' rights being the primary cause of the war. And I think one other area to look at when we are looking at how we teach social studies and history, the content besides, you know, slavery, political science, civics in the classroom, uh, has to do with Native Americans and their role in our nation's history because at the end of the day we all live on confiscated lands of indigenous peoples of this, this, this continent and many other continents as well. That's not exclusive to the North American experience uh, in a lot of ways. It's also, you know, you can, you can look at a place like Australia. So how we deal with that history and how we what we think of it and how we teach it also matters, you know. Uh, I could I could pour over this, this textbook here and probably find the Trail of Tears in it. And the book probably does a solid job of how it talks about the Trail of Tears. But, you know, there was also uh, 
evac not evacuation is the wrong word. There was also displacement and removal of Native Americans in other parts of the nation besides the Trail of Tears. Yet that one we focus on quite a bit. Um, you can look at Iroquois removal from our own state here in New York, you know, and, and that probably isn't in this textbook, if I had to guess. It could be, and I could be totally wrong, but, you know, it's also something we need, we need to focus on and bring to attention, especially because it's local as well. So I think those are all areas we can constantly be reevaluating. And I, I want to be very clear, I don't think we're doing a bad job right now teaching this stuff. I think we are doing the best job we have been, like, ever, um, which is good, and we need to just keep looking at that and keep going and keep teaching it the right way because as the gatekeepers, you know, social studies and history sets that foundation for these individuals to be part of the human experience, and if we're missing a piece, we're doing a disservice to our students. So this, these are all things that I constantly think about, so I want to flick the mic on today and, and share some of these thoughts with you and see what you think, you know. Tweet, tweet, tweet at us at History Holly. Uh, send us some emails, your thoughts on the show. You know, uh, share this, grow the podcast. We like to see this thing take off during the time of quarantine as we're all kind of shut in and we can all communicate through ways like this. So thank you for listening today so much and uh, kind of my thoughts and just, you know, thinking out loud. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been Holly History.